Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. From KQED. I'm at the corner of Shell Mound Street and Ohlone Way in Emeryville and looking at what you might think of as kind of suburban heaven. There's a P.F. Chang's, uh, an Ikea just a couple blocks away. But right here at this intersection, there's also something you might just completely miss the first time you walk by. There's a small mound. It's like if you covered a Volkswagen bus with soil. And a little bit away, there's this memorial that says... Bay Street, Emeryville, was a shell mound site. Now this street, Shell Mound Street, and this mound caught the attention of our question asker, Paul Gilbert. He wanted to know... What's the story behind uh, Shell Mound Street in Emeryville uh, and what happened to the Native American shell mound that I heard it was named after? This is Bay Curious, the podcast that explores the Bay Area one question at a time. I'm Olivia Allen Price. This week, we're talking about shell mounds, the sacred sites where Ohlone would bury their ancestors. It's a complex story, thousands of years in the making. And today, we'll touch on just some of the history. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. To answer Paul's shell mound question, we brought in reporter Laura Clivens. Yep. And for this story, we'll actually start north of Amryville in Vallejo, California. Hey, I'm Laura. That's where I met Karina Gould. I am the spokesperson for the Confederated Villages of Lashon. Lashon is one of the more than 40 Native groups that call the Greater Bay Area their home. Throughout the past few centuries, colonizers lumped these distinct people into one group. These days, they're most commonly called Ohlone. We're at an ancient village site uh, along the Carquinas Strait called Segorate. 
That's the original name for this space by our ancestors. Who Karina says lived here up until 1810, before they were taken into nearby Spanish missions. Karina scans this large open space with yellowing grasses. These days it's called Glen Cove Waterfront Park. It was one of the last strongholds for the Carquinoloni people before they were taken into the mission systems. We're at the site of not one, but two shell mounds. Shell mounds are created by my ancestors as ceremonial places and as burial sites. Children buried with their mothers who had been lost in childbirth, elders with babies. These bodies were then covered with layers of soil, shell, and rock. Over thousands of years, the completely man-made mounds grew bigger and bigger. They transformed the flatlands by the bay waters into an undulating, awe-inspiring scene. And they were not just a remembrance for the dead, but an active space for the living. People would come and they would trade with each other and they would have ceremony at the top of these mounds. Archaeologists have found remnants of communal fireplaces, workshops, and homes on the mounds. They were so central to community life that it seems there wasn't time for topsoil to even build up or for grasses to grow. Their height, some taller than 30 feet, was a focal point to navigate across the bay waters or to communicate with other tribes. You could send signals to other people across the bay because you could see their fires. And, say, warn others about toxic red tide. There's all of these things that are in these mounds that tell us this rich history of our people for thousands and thousands of years like remains of the foods that sustained the Ohlone. Not only the mussel, clam, and oyster shells that give the mounds their name, but salmon and sturgeon, deer, acorns from the ample oak trees. All these natural resources made the Bay Area one of the most populous places for indigenous people north of Mexico. That means a lot of shell mounds. And as time went on, people created more and more of them around the bay as a way of respecting our ancestors and creating this space that was in continuum with the land. But as colonizers and settlers came to California in the 17 and 1800s, Native Americans were devastated by diseases, starvation, and massacres killings that were at times funded by the state of California and the U.S. government. Native people began to disappear from their traditional land. And when their houses of willow branches and tule reeds decomposed, the shell mounds were all that was left to mark where their villages once stood. In 1909, a UC Berkeley archaeologist counted 425 shell mounds around the Bay Area. He thought there were many more, too. Shell mounds that could no longer be seen, already worn away by water, time, and development. And now, how many of those 425 shell mounds that were documented do you think you can see around the bay? Four. So what happened to the shell mounds? Let's take a look at the Emeryville shell mound, the one our question asker Paul wondered about. It was the biggest one recorded in the Bay Area. It was over three stories high, and it was over 350 feet in diameter. Larger than a football field. 
But if you look for the shell mound today, you won't find much above ground. In the late 1800s, developers lobbed off the top of the shell mound to create a dance pavilion. Decades later, the shell mound was leveled completely to make way for a paint factory. And in the early 2000s, this once thriving native village became a thriving outdoor shopping center. The flattening of shell mounds happened across the bay. But Karina says the shell mounds are still here, underground. The soil is distinct, a dark, rich color from organic material with white pockets, shells. And there are still human remains, too. Construction crews and archaeologists uncovered bones when building the Emeryville shops. So it's important for us to preserve and protect what's left. Even if you as human beings can't see it on top, we know that the layers of our shell mounds go way deep underneath the land that it is. Artifacts beneath a very modern world. Most of the shell mounds are under like uh, Burger King in downtown Oakland, a street by the cathedral, by the lake in Lake Merritt, the Yerba Buena Gardens Center, they're under all of these places that we walk by every day and would not even know that they exist. The parts of the shamans that were above ground in places like West Berkeley and Emeryville, uh, where are they now? Well, quite literally, the shell mounds were used to pave the streets of Emeryville and Berkeley. Some of the rich matter from the mounds was sold for gardens or used for landfill. And then there were the human remains, the human bones and artifacts like beads and mortars and pestles. Our ancestors' remains are, uh, for the most part, at UC Berkeley and other institutions. UC Berkeley has more than 5,000 human remains from the Bay Area. But you still just can't think in your head, what does that even look like? Two years ago, Karina and other Ohlone people went to see the UC Berkeley collection. It was in the basement. Beneath a campus swimming pool. From the top of the ceiling to the floor, there was all these trays with our ancestor remains up and down, up and down, up and down. That would probably cover a really huge room. And I'll never forget that experience, that this institution is holding these humans, and for what purpose? And um, how many is too many? She says there were skulls and ribs, arm bones. They were the ancestors, you know, my direct relations, my... I, I lay down in bed for three days and couldn't move. And it still hurts. For centuries, the Ohlone have not had land to call their own. But now they're getting control of two acres in East Oakland. And Karina is helping lead a fight to get back another site, too, at the West Berkeley Shell Mount. Her vision is to create an open space, one city block with native plants, a circular dancing structure for Ohlone ceremonies, and a 40-foot-tall mound with a spiral path and information about the Ohlone. Right now, it's an asphalt parking lot. Karina organized and emceed an intertribal prayer and teach-in here recently. And then we'll have uh, Wounded Knee come up and offer a, a prayer, um, and then we're going to uh, turn you over to Idle No More, San Francisco Bay. For Roughly 300 people show up, including locals and others. 
like native singer Ronnie Dean Harris from Canada. Karina says over her decades as an activist, Ohlone events like these have grown stronger, the crowds larger, that the Ohlone are having a resurgence, reviving dance steps no one has followed in a hundred years, learning traditional languages not spoken in generations from tape recordings, like how the word O roughly means amen. That we are still here, the West Berkeley Shell Mound, and that we exist. And so I'll be calling on you when we need help. Okay, thank you so much for, uh, for everybody's help today. Oh. Can we get a big O? That was reporter Laura Clivens. Special thanks to Karina Gould for her help with this episode and our question asker this week, Paul Gilbert. If you'd like to see some very old photos of the shell mounds, head to baycurious.org. And while you're there, sign up for our monthly newsletter. It's a great way to stay in the loop on Bay Curious happenings. Plus, we'll share the answer to a new listener question in every letter. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.